Mine's good. Life good! Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. We're here with my brother Scott. Hi, Scott. Oh, Sean, what's going on? It's a big snowstorm outside. Big old snowstorm. In the nation's capital. It's snowing hard. It's been snowing hard for a couple hours. A couple s- hours all day. You, oh, I, I haven't gone outside. Oh, geez. I've, I've been outside. up since six. Come on, <laughs> yeah. guy. So uh, it's snowing. You stood in it for a half hour or so, which means you're going to go home after we do this and probably turn on some mixed doubles garland. You know it, man. That's uh, my big plan for tonight. Mixed yes. doubles. So the mixed doubles Olympic event starts tonight as we record this Wednesday, Thursday morning in Korea for the first draw, seven draws. They're playing two draws every day until Sunday. And then they'll do one draw Sunday. Top four teams make the playoffs. Only eight teams in this versus 10 in the men's and women's competition. And we'll preview those later before they come up next week. But today we're focusing just on mixed doubles. And Scott, it's good that you're here because you have played in a provincial championship at the mixed doubles level. Well, Sean, not to toot my own horn or anything, but uh, I do have a little bit of mixed doubles experience. Uh, That's right. I played in Quebec uh, when I lived in Montreal. We played in the mixed doubles event. I don't remember what year it was, 2012 or 2013. I got a badge for it, so that's uh, something. There you go. But uh, we made the quarterfinals, uh, lost to the eventual winner in the quarterfinals. So uh, it was really fun, a great, great uh, format for curling. I I love how active it is, even though I'm not in the best shape uh, to do it. (laughs) Uh, I love how active it is, how fast the games can go by. And how much scoring is possible at any given time, yep. which you know, because playing mixed doubles, you scored a six-ender. six-ender. Myself and Nancy White, we are Team Winter, uh, because of a misprint on the first on the shoot the first time we played, we're Team Winter. Yeah, we scored a six one time, playing Robin Love and his wife, I can't remember her first name. But they were playing, it was their first time playing, and one of the reasons we got the six is they didn't... No, the rules. Oh. So on their second one, she tried to hit. And she did. And she made the hit. But you're not allowed to hit, of course. So we got to put that stone back. And then they missed their next three. And we just piled them in. And we scored a six. Right on. It was very exciting. They don't put that up in the club like an eight-ender, eh? No, nobody seemed to care. Oh, it was boy. it was really quite sad. Actually, I, somebody was very skeptical when we mentioned it later, they said, you only throw five rocks, you can't score six. And I was, well, wait a minute. Well, hold on now. But So people didn't really respect the six. You got a photo of this? We took a photo afterwards. After the we six didn't had stop, been cleared? Yeah, we didn't stop the game. Oh, boy. This smelled a little it. more like fake news to me uh, <laughs> as it goes on. Well, we well, that's why we wanted Nancy to be on the show. That's right, but she couldn't for uh, numerous scheduling conflicts. Yeah, that so she seems to we're have. hoping that she can come on next week. As we recap this and see who wins. So both of us have some experiences, but let's go over the rules real quick for anyone who's not familiar. Sure. For anyone who hasn't seen it, because it's very different from a traditional curling game. Mm-hmm. So the, the first main change, of course, is you only have two people instead of four. One, one man, one woman. And you have five rocks to throw. Each team 
decides who wants to throw the first and the fifth, and the other person throws the middle three. The team with the hammer starts with a rock at the back of the forefoot. The other team starts with a center guard. And you cannot hit until the fourth thrown stone. And otherwise, it's regular curling. <laughs> and except for all those caveats. Except for all those things. And they added something within the last couple of years card called the power play. Mm-hmm. So once a game, each team, when you have the hammer, you can move the play off of the center line onto a corner guard and a shot just above the T line behind that corner guard mm-hmm. is how you can do it if you want to move the playoffs. So you can do that for offensive reasons, try and generate a deuce, or for defensive reasons. Yeah. If you're up by a couple points, you don't want to give the other team a chance to steal or make it harder for them to steal, you can start by moving the playoff to the side. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, well, what do you think of the rules? What do you think is the, the best part of this? And, and what's the real challenge in making the shift from four to two? So as you said, uh, as we said before, I played... Uh, a while back, and this was before the power play rule was in play. Right. I've never played with a power play either. I I had mixed feelings about the power play when I first heard about it, but the more I've seen it played, I kind of like it. I like that there's a chance for the team that's leading to sort of defend that lead a little bit. At the same time, it's always exciting to have more rocks in play and whatnot. But uh, it can can also help the team with Hammer to not only prevent a steal, but try to score multiple points as you've said yes that like that's i think that's really the big thing right is that you can generate that extra point i think it's mostly because that rock goes from behind the t-line to just above the t-line just above yeah making it making the freezes that much more delicate if Mm -hmm. the the uh team without hammer chooses to do that so as far as uh, the rules go uh, i'm cool with everything uh the power play i was a little out on but uh i'm i'm back in now having seen it uh, play out a few times yeah um, and one thing that's always, uh, been strange to me is that the women tend to throw the first and fifth rocks on these teams yes. and the men throw the three in the middle. When I played, uh, we sort of switched back and forth based on who was feeling it at the moment. You know, if we needed a break for something, uh, we'd switch up positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see there's, I see no reason to not switch positions if something's not going right. Let's say you're losing by... You know, four or five points. Maybe we want to just change things up. Why not, right? And it's not like in the case of Team Canada, it's not like Caitlin Laws can't throw the big weight. You know? Yeah, she can throw it hard. Yeah, she can really throw it hard. But one of the reasons I, I assume most people do this is, and this is what Kathy O'Rourke told me way back at the mixed in 2012 or whenever it was here in Ottawa. And I asked her why most of the men in that event were the skips, right? Or you know, right. that the men were second skip. Uh, third lead for the women, with one exception being Sylvie Robichaux. And what she told me was that it's really not about the skip position because to throw last, you have to be well-versed. Anyway, it's really that second position. And on average, if men can throw it harder, you want them to be able to clean it up. So I think that's the same here, where on average, if men can throw it harder, you want them in the middle where you might have to clean it up a bit more. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the reason like you say, though, Caitlin Laws can throw it hard. We saw it at the Continental Cup with Emma Miskew and Ben Hebert. That's where right. Emma Miskew threw the middle three because, as Ben Hebert said afterwards, she's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that was a funny, uh, 
a funny line from Ben at the uh, Q and A afterwards. Yeah. So, so those are the the general rules. So let's go through some of these teams here. Let's do it. Now let's start with Canada, of course. Caitlin Laws and John Morris, as we mentioned, are the winners of the trials mm-hmm. in uh, in where were they? they were in Manitoba uh, somewhere. Um, wherever they were, portage? the Can- yeah, in Portage, the Canada Inns mixed curling Olympic trials or whatever they were called. Yeah, get the sponsor in there. Yeah, a, you got to not sponsoring us. Okay, so don't that's, worry about that's true. Yeah, so what do I care? So they win that event. They s- started slow, if I remember right. Well, let, let me let me say that not only did they start slow, they had not played together before this. Rachel right. Holman was slated to yes. be John Morris's partner, and due to her team winning the women's Olympic berth, was ineligible to play. Right. So Caitlin and John sort of hooked up to play this event. Uh, the word is they practiced for about 30 minutes at the Granite Club <laughs> uh, before they stepped out onto the ice for the competition. Yeah. And you're right, they started slow. They were 5-3 and three in the... In the preliminary round, in the pools? Yeah, so they went two and three. And, okay. And then they won their last three to, to get to into sort of catch up. Yeah, they beat, they lost to uh, Dana Ferguson and Brendan Botcher mm-hmm. in their first game. Then they beat Marlies Kastner and uh, Dustin Kalthoff. They beat John Epping and Sherry Madaw. So they're two and one. But then they lost to uh, Val Sweeting and Brad Gushu. And then they lost to Laura Crocker and Jeff Walker. Mm. And then they went on a run where they beat... The Kerry Hodgson team, Park Thomas, and Stuart Stewart. And that gets them into the playoffs at 5-3. and three. Right. So they, they sort of squeaked into the playoffs and then had a pretty good run from there. Yeah, they did lose the 1-2 game to Sweeting and Gushu. So the way it worked there was actually quite interesting. That It gets you to 8. So you have the pool play to get you to 8. Mm-hmm. And then there was a round of 8 to get you to the page. Yeah. Which was kind of fun, kind of interesting. And they got into that one-two game despite having the five and three record, which was not in the top four, I think, mm-hmm. in the of those initial eight. But they got into that one-two game because they won their games in that round of eight. Lost to Brad Sweet or uh, Val Sweeting, Brad Gushu, come back, beat Peterman Gallant, and then beat Sweeting Gushu in the final. Mm-hmm. They really went on a run there. Yeah, so they got hot, and they, it seemed like they got more comfortable together. When you watched them during the week, the first couple of games, you could see that they were sort of tentative around each other, Yeah, what to call, how each of them were throwing. Definitely got a lot more comfortable, particularly with, I think, Caitlin feeling com- more comfortable speaking up and saying, let's do this, let's do this, this is what I want to throw. It seems like, and I think this would happen to anybody, that John Morris is... He never stops talking, right? Like he's he's always into it. Mm-hmm. He always has ideas and suggestions or whatever. So through the course of the week, it seemed like Caitlin was doing a better job of getting her voice in there. Yeah, it seemed to me. And I think that's uh, that's the most important part of this mixed doubles is communication because it's only the two of you out there. Mm-hmm. There's no liaison third to bring information back to the front end. Yep. And if you don't have that communication, it's really going to cost you uh, right away. So yeah, ma- making sure that that's open and uh, o- open communication, uh, that it's honest, that you're not getting your feelings hurt by someone telling you you're <laughs> dumping one turn or whatnot. Yeah, uh, that's going to be the key to success for Team Canada there. And we saw too with the Scotties that just finished short round robin that you don't have a lot of time to to get mm-hmm. your feet under you. So you you got to be ready to go off the hop. I think it's helpful that. Even though the two of them haven't played that much together, they've both been to the Olympics. They're not going to be overwhelmed by, mm-hmm. you know, both. I think both of them tweeted yesterday, or at least Caitlin did, 
the idea of you know you're sliding over those rings right yeah. and sort of that the visual of that and neither of them they're going to both be happy and proud whatever but they're not going to be overwhelmed by that because mm-hmm. they've they've done it and certainly John Morris doing it in Canada in that pressure cooker of Vancouver I yeah. mean he's going to be he's going to be fine <laughs> yeah he'll be fine he'll be fine i mean yeah. uh these two have no shortage of experience uh, right. they they know what to do yeah so that's that's the Canadian team. So let's uh, let's sort of go down the list here. And Canada qualified for this because of we should note Joanne Courtney and Reed Carruthers. That's that was a big part of them qualifying, yes. right? They they were if they had not done so basically how it works is the top seven teams in the world rankings for mixed doubles or the, or the top seven countries, excuse me, qualified for the Olympics, and then South Korea was guaranteed the eighth spot. But there was a threat last year that if Reed Crothers and Joy and Courtney had not done well in the World Championships in Lethbridge, that Canada could have not qualified. There was a potential for it. There was a potential for it. It would have been quite uh, quite unlikely. I think they would have had to miss the playoffs. Yeah, I'm looking here at the uh, Olympic points system that they awarded for mixed doubles. Uh, and number one country is China, finishing or gaining 12 points in 2016. And 10 in 2017. So 12 points would be for finishing second. Yep. And 10 points would be fin- for finishing third. So they topped the tables with 22 Olympic points. Canada's next with 8 points in 2016 mm-hmm. for finishing sixth, I think. And then uh, 12 for last year finishing second, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Courtney and and uh, Carruthers. Yeah. So... So so let's do, let's talk about this. You mentioned China, yeah. Uh, and as we that. talk about Ishim, we'll say where they are on this table. Okay. So China ranked first in the world, uh, and I'm gonna say, mispronounce. I'm sure some of these names, but I'll try my best as we go through all the different countries. Wow, Sean. Um, Rui Wang and Deshin Ba. Wow, sounds right to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're quite uh, quite a good. Uh, mixed doubles team yep. work well together. So third uh, last year, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, second in 2016. Combined record in the round robins of those events was 11 and two mm-hmm. before you get to the playoffs. So you know, obviously they've had success. Now you take these records with a grain of salt because of the number of teams that are in it and teams from countries that don't really have curling programs. Mm-hmm. Like Qatar had a team in 2016, which is really cool, but. They obviously struggled. Um, the Brazilians play in this every year, Australians, mm-hmm. New Zealand. So it's this wide cross-section of countries, which is great for the sport, Sure, but countries that don't have necessarily dedicated facilities. So people are going to struggle when they come to an event like this. So mm-hmm. you take these records. Um, they're not playing the same caliber throughout the round robin as you're going to play this week. That's but. right. That's right. But still, even given that, they're quite a strong team. Canada knocked them off in the semifinals last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, by one point, I think. So they're a strong contender. I would say they're definitely a medal favorite in this event. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. And just the opportunity too that versus some of the other countries, there they have more resources available to them than sure. some of the other countries that are even in this. So uh, certainly they would have a lot of time on ice and, and be well prepared for this. Mm-hmm. So next is Finland, the Finnish team. So Una Kaust. And Tommy Rantamika, as I continue to poorly say names. Uh, these two individuals also played in both 2017 and 2016. Seventh in both events. Yes. And a combined round-robin record of 11-2 and two 
as well. And in the world rankings, Finland. So Finland and uh, Norway, who I suppose we can talk about next, uh, they both finished with 12 Olympic points. So uh, 6th and 7th, respectively. And they would have been the the 7th place team uh, out of this field no matter what, but uh, are helped by Korea being in there as the as the eighth place team, right? So they they are not then favored or expected to to maybe make the playoffs based off of these past results, right? But uh, Una Kausta has been uh, on the world scene before, skipping the women's team right. out of Finland, yep. And I believe the uh, the guy with her has also played uh, at a world level, but I could be wrong. Okay. So you know they've got some experience. But as you say, uh, I would say they're not uh, set to be one of the favorites at this event. Mm-hmm. Then again, nothing surprises me in mixed doubles. Right. Because anything can happen. Short games. Sure. Crazy. Lots of points. So you mentioned they're tied with the Norwegians in the world rankings. That's right. They both have 12, uh, had 12 Olympic qualifying points. Okay. And the Norwegians, Kristen Skazlian and Magnus Nedgraten. Okay. I hope I said that right. And... They these two as a team also played 2016 2017. This one uh, I have them as a combined record of 12 and one in the round robin in the round robins. But fifth fifth last year, ninth mm-hmm. in 2016. Yeah. So. An improvement last year, obviously. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a good sign for them getting better and, and coming together as a team. Definitely an improvement for sure. And uh, you know if they can build on that, then they might be uh, might be uh, in the mix for a playoff spot. Yeah. And so next, let's go to Russia or okay. the Olympics Olympic athletes from Russia because yes. they don't actually get to be Russia. Uh, Anastasia Brizgalov, or excuse me, Brizgalova. Alexander Krushleckil. No, that's an I. Krushleckki. Wow, this is my favorite segment. Isn't this Sean great? producing or pronouncing, pronouncing names. names. Uh, so they, they also played in this, as a team in 2016, 2017. Okay. They were the world champions in 2016. Mm-hmm. So they slipped to ninth last year, but defending or a world championship for these two that's right that's right so they're another one of the teams to look out for in the olympic point standings they were third behind china and canada so a pretty strong squad Mm -hmm. i would say if they don't make the playoffs they'd be disappointed who knows how marching under the olympic flag instead of the russian flag might affect them going in Mm -hmm. Uh, that seems like a silly thing but it could i it is i I wonder about that for all the russian teams that are the russian athletes who are there if this will have any impact and maybe not even sort of the the being disappointed in the opening ceremony that the russian flag is not there that they're not in russian colors even though they're kind of in russian colors they're Mm -hmm. they're similar but they're not the same or the idea that if they win the russian anthem won't be played even if they can set that aside and i'm sure some of them can the interruption of everything that's gone on to their training yeah and whether or not that's actually influenced them over the past years since all this talk of russian athletes being banned and then they Mm -hmm. were banned and then they weren't banned if there was an interruption to their training schedules that may have put them behind some of the other athletes yeah they might have not even thought they were going to qualify for these olympic games right and so uh who knows what it'll do this is a very strong team though according to uh the records and and Mm -hmm. what we've looked up so Anyone who's won a world championship, you got to take seriously. I'm taking as a serious threat. Mm-hmm. So they should do well. We expect them to do well. Then we have the Swiss team. Uh, the Swiss team 
of Jenny Pere and Martin Rios. Good job, Sean. Thanks. Yeah, I got that one pretty easily. They, uh, these are your defending world champions. Yeah, defending world champions. We just finished watching the last end of last year's world championship yes. because I, I remember watching it. I think we were at the Ottawa Curling Club, we as were. you said. Yep. But I wanted to double check to see what the hell had happened because uh, <laughs> they somehow scored four points on Courtney and Carruthers in the yeah. last end to win. Down three. Down three, which is pretty insane. Yeah. So anyway, we watched it, and... It was a miss. It was Joanne missed her last one. It was a miss by Joanne that set it up. But to be fair to Switzerland, they made all their shots. Yeah. Uh, And this is where the lack of hitting really comes into play, where mm. you can't hit until that fourth rock, and if you don't have the hammer, that means it's your third one that you're throwing, and there's already a lot of stuff in play by the time you want to try and clean stuff up. So it gets really messy, and scoring... A three with the hammer is almost like scoring a deuce in a regular game. That is not necessarily easy, but that's almost what you might expect to yeah. do. Yeah, and so this uh, this Swiss team, now when I say they made all their shots, they didn't put the rocks exactly where they needed to go, yeah. but they did a good enough job. They gave themselves an opportunity mm-hmm. and took advantage of it. Now, will they be able to uh, capture that lightning in a bottle again? I'm not sure. Switzerland's a very good curling country. Yep. Uh, 10,000 curlers in the in the country and you know they they should they should be uh not be taken lightly oh for sure and maybe one of the things about this team we don't know about much about really any of these teams except for what we've seen in world championships that's right they do not represent switzerland in 2016 no so that does also speak to the depth of swiss curling Mm -hmm. even though they don't have that many players relative to canada there is a really good depth of high-level players. That's right. Now, in 2016, they they didn't earn any points, uh, mm-hmm. Olympic qualifying points from the World Championships. Uh, so that tells me that they, they didn't. Uh, so they didn't, didn't have a great didn't team. qualify. Yeah, high enough. But uh, then you come back the next year with a different team and win. You know, uh, bring these guys to the Olympics and and see what happens. Yeah. So definitely a favorite with the Swiss team, and then of course the Americans. Represented by the Hamilton siblings, Becca Hamilton and Matt Hamilton. Yeah. They competed together last year, went 7-0 and in the round robin, but sort of scuffed in the playoffs, ended up finishing 10th. Yeah, they lost their, their quarterfinal game. Was it the quarterfinal or the round of 16 round game? Round of 16 game. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but like you said, 7-0 and in the round robin. They're, they they're, beat Canada, too, they, in the round robin. They beat Carruthers and Courtney. They're a good team. They know what to do. They are siblings. They can communicate uh, well with each other. Isn't that right? The siblings do that? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. sometimes. And, uh, and so I, I think uh, they're another metal threat for sure. Yeah, for and sure. I would say that they might be the stars of this event. They, they're the team, I think, that's getting the most press, not just from the American media. Mm-hmm. Canadian media loves these people. Sure. And in Canada, certainly the four-person teams get more of the attention than the mixed doubles, even in this case where you have two people in Caitlin Laws and John Morris, who everybody knows from the past two Olympics. The Hamiltons just... And, and <laughs> it's even more just Matt Hamilton. Matt Hamilton loves the spotlight. He's mm-hmm. certainly not shy, He's out there, and he's he's an entertaining guy, and that has drawn a lot of attention to them. Yeah, you might uh, one might call him a bit of a ham. Yeah, a little groan, bit. Groan, groan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. bad pun. <laughs> but uh, th- that's true. I mean, like the, on late night TV, like you said, they're they're big stars, and yeah. 
I think that they have a chance to do really well at this event. We'll see if that has any hangover effect for them in the uh, four-person team mm-hmm. event, uh, as they're both on the U.S. teams, the men's and women's teams, mm-hmm. respectively. But uh, we'll talk about that another time. But, yeah. but, but you this, know, we'll and, see. And this is the only country, the United States is the only country that has allowed any of the players to do both. That's right. All the other countries, certainly Canada said, no, you're not allowed to. I don't know what the rules were in the other countries, but given that these people all played together, certainly they would have had their eye on this mm-hmm. for a while. But it's, I would be, if I was John Schuster, if I was Nina Roth, I would be somewhat concerned that members of my front end are going to come into the round robin of the men's and women's tired. Yeah, undeniably already played. Yeah, played emotionally, physically tired. It's 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 my. I would be concerned about it, but we'll see how that ends up playing out. Sure. And certainly, if they don't do well, then they have a couple days off before that round robin starts. But obviously, their goal is to make it to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I would think that they should make it to the playoffs. It would be my guess. Yeah, I think uh, I think they're a playoff favorite. Yeah. That's what I would say. For sure. And a lot of attention. I think they're going to get a lot of media attention. And, and NBC is streaming all of the games mm-hmm. for this. On uh, I don't know if they'll make it available here or not, but certainly they're on the CBC as well. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting, too, about this format with eight teams, four sheets, no one gets buys. So everyone's playing all the time. Yeah, so there are only two games a day, so there's like yeah. off times for the sheets, and that's presumably to let the uh, the four person teams practice. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think looking at the draw times here, it's pretty favorable for television uh, in here America. in North America it as really well. Is you know we're we're on tonight uh, seven o'clock Wednesday night, and then yep. tomorrow morning six six a.m. So you know people can watch when they get up. Uh, there's only one game that starts at eleven thirty. One draw that starts at eleven thirty. And even that's not, that's the, not end terrible. Of, the end of the world. I mean, know? that's not great for our friends in Newfoundland, but or even, say, Atlantic Canada, but Eastern Time Zone, Eastern and, time West, zone and West, yeah, it's, it's doable. Mm-hmm. So Maybe the 3 a.m. in B.C. is not as doable, but I used to live yeah. there, and I'd wake up at 3 a.m. to yeah. watch curling. Right? Deal with it. Yeah, you people get to watch sports and at 9 o'clock at night. I don't know if I like uh, being and called you done. people. And then you're done. So, uh, <laughs> you West people. Uh, so the only team we haven't talked about yet, of course, are the Korean team, the host team mm-hmm. of Heeji Zhang and Ki Jong Lee. Oh. The uh, the Koreans they went seven and zero in the round robin last year at the World Championship, four and two in 2016. In 2016, and this was the same. Two people in the 2016, they did not do well. They lost in the round of 16, then they lost the B round as well. So they didn't get into that ranking at all. But last year, they did finish sixth. Right. So that's the zero points, uh, zero Olympic points they got in 2016, despite a good round robin. Despite a good round robin, and then this this year also uh, earned seven points only, despite a good round robin. Yep. So uh, they're the team with the lowest amount of Olympic points that's qualified for this. Uh, I'll note that both Great Britain and the Czech Republic had more Olympic qualifying points than Korea did to get in. But since Korea is the host country, they are the automatic bid. Right. And so some of the, maybe those two countries have a bone to pick. But uh, you know what? Do better. But that's interesting because Great Britain, yes, in the World Championships, there is a team from England and a team from Scotland. Yeah. The, the so would it be the Scottish team that would qualify? The points are from Team Scotland. Okay. Because uh, I don't know why, 
but there's also an <laughs> England, better? there's also an England team ranking here, and okay. they earned five points in 2016. Mm. So they're they're separate. Okay. So this Korean team, if they weren't hosting, they wouldn't be there. Obviously, the expectation from the outside would be that they would not make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But you never know. Home home country boost. Or, Certainly, there's the fans who are going to be there. Uh, you imagine that they'll be partisan towards the Koreans. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Canadians there yeah. as well. But certainly, you would expect them to get a boost from the crowd. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, like we've seen they did quite well in the round robins uh, yeah. in the past years. So that experience might uh, help buoy them and, and bring them up towards the top of the table. Like we talked about, a little stiffer competition maybe. Right. here than, than in your traditional round robin at the Worlds. But, uh, but I mean, they deserve to be there. I mean, even if even if they didn't have such a good showing and they're only there because they're the host, I think the, they'll have a good showing. I think so, too. And and it's one of these things, too. It's You wonder why they went with eight. I know it's because of time, but if you had three draws a day, you could work with a 10-team field, and then you could let the Czech Republic in. You could let Great Britain in. And, I, I mean, the point of mixed doubles, frankly, from the World Curling Federation's point of view, is to spread the game and to grow mm-hmm. the game. And I, I would think you could allow for 10, but... Uh, yeah, and here we have all teams that also... Like, all countries that only, also have teams in both the men's and women's event, or one of one or the other. Right. Uh, in the case of China, right? And so, so you know, are they... Uh, are they, are they growing, growing the game? The game if we're yeah. seeing the same countries over and over again? Right. It's Yeah, it's a fair... Fair question. So if we look at this, the, as we mentioned, the Canadians the only team that have not played in a world championship together. The the Swiss and the American team only played in 2017, but the other five played the past two years in the world championships. Mm-hmm. The Hamiltons, they've been playing together their whole life, so I don't think that really is a big deal for them. So if we look down this list, really strong field. It's a. It looks pretty strong on paper, you know, uh, given the results that we've seen from these teams at the World Championships. Uh, that said, I've got to. I've got to give China sort of the gold medal favorite uh, okay. tag right now. Um, uh, from a Canadian perspective, I'd say if Canada medals, it's a real win. Uh, I agree. I think. I think we should expect it, but I also think it would be. It would be like quite a coup for them to to medal at all. If they didn't medal, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. Right in this field, in experience matters in terms of mixed doubles play. Absolutely, uh, both of them have played it. Of course, I mean they both played in national championships before before the the trials. But mm-hmm. you know, not doing it together could cause some some problems just in communication and yeah. getting yeah. used to each other. So you like China as a favorite? I think China is the number one favorite. Uh, I I think USA should be considered in there as well, just because we know them and uh, and that's what's uh, that's where my brain's at right now. Okay. Um, so your four playoffs. Who would your other two playoff teams be? Well, I think Canada would make the playoffs. Yeah. And if the next one for me is a toss up uh, between all the remaining teams, <laughs> all of them, all the teams. I think, uh, you know, you could say Switzerland cause they're the de- defending world champions. Yep. You could say Russia cause they've won a world championship. So yeah, uh, let me just uh, say Russia. Okay. So you're going with Russia. I'm just guessing. Okay. So for me, I, I also like the Swiss team. I really like the, the Swiss team. Okay. I, I you're defending world championships. They're going to get my vote as one of the playoff teams. I think the Chinese team, 
I like them as well as a as a certainly as a playoff contender. Mm-hmm. My I'm concerned. I, I like the Hamiltons. I want them to do well. I got to talk to them in the media area there at the Continental Cup. Mm-hmm. They're they're fun people. They they love the sport. I want them to do well. I am very skeptical about this arrangement that USA Curling has had happen. Wow. And the thing is, like, even if even if they hadn't won, John Schuster would have been the representative. So like, either way, there were some people who were going to be doubling up. So I don't know. I think it's too much, and I. I assume it'll play out further later in the week uh, or later in the event in the the team games, but it, it just seems like a lot mentally to have to go through and have to process. I like them. I'm rooting for them, but I'm not overly optimistic about their chances. So I, as my other two playoff teams, I think we're going to have to go with Canada and the Russians. Okay. And that'll be my four. So I got the Swiss the Canadians, the Russians, and the Chinese. You have the Chinese, the Americans, the Canadians, and the Russians. So we differ there on the Swiss and on the, just the Americans. one team there. One yeah. team there. Now, uh, if I'm picking a dark horse contender here, yep. Uh, you know, give me Korea to surprise sure. a bit on their home turf uh, and come out of the come out of the woodwork uh, strong. You know. Yeah, I think that's a really solid choice. Is someone who could really surprise. If you, I, I would not be surprised to look up on Saturday morning. And they're five and zero. Oh, yeah, right? it, it wouldn't be shocking to me if that were the case. Um, yeah, the other the other countries. Yeah, the Finnish, the Norwegians might be. I would expect it just based on past results that they might have a bit more of a struggle. But again, all of these teams have good round robin results. So it's and it's tough in the the World Championships for the mixed doubles. They go with that round of 16, and you lose that game. You get a bad draw against one of the other pools. You know, it's not a reflection of how good necessarily you are. It's mm-hmm. you, you could have gotten to the gold medal game, but you had... Just that one bad game. Yeah, like you get paired up with, say, Canada or the Russians in the first one, and you're the finish. That's not great, but if by happenstance you could have paired up with someone else maybe you go further so it, the the mixed worlds is really tough just because of the way they do that yeah we saw last year latvia go seven and oh i think in their pool and advanced to the round of 16 and you know they advanced one game past that but right. then they ran up against canada right who had a worse record in the yeah. round robin but they were uh a little bit better than the, the latvians yes so it's say. it's it's always tough to, uh, to sort of handicap this event just because of that. And it's the first time we've seen it in the Olympics, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if I were to give, take a dark horse, I would pick then the Americans as my dark horse um, because I don't have them in the playoffs. So the other thing we should mention in the Olympics, and this applies to the men's and the women's, no page playoff system. Yeah, no page playoffs, so no second chance what for do you think first of or second. I think, uh, you know, as we talked about a little bit before we got started today, the World Curling Federation is the one who is responsible for the rules uh, of these Olympic Games. Uh, For a long time at the Worlds, there was no page playoff system either. Now, I feel like it's taken hold enough that it should be introduced into this competition. At the same time, the the do-or-die element, uh, and it's one fewer game to schedule... Yeah, sort of makes it uh, like the the do or die element is more exciting. I had the uh, privilege to go to the Vancouver Games and saw the, both the semifinals and finals of the men's and women's, and and it was just exciting. 
I mean, mm-hmm. knowing that one of these teams could have their gold medal dreams dashed just like that, you know, it, uh, it, it it's exciting. So mm-hmm. would I would I argue in favor of it uh, for most events? No, I wouldn't. Uh, if they're gonna, just going to do it here at the Olympics, eh, why not? Whatever. <laughs> but, but can't you make the argument that in what is obviously the biggest event in curling, right? The whole sport is geared around this four-year cycle to get mm-hmm. to this event, that that event should reflect or have the rules that are in place at every other major world event. Yeah, I understand. Uh, so why are we changing the rules at the most important time? Eh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, why why not? Let's just get rid of extra ends then too, and just have a draw to the button. Okay, and we'll go back to three rock rule too. Right? Yeah, sure. And you have to have a you have to have a cigarette hanging out of your mouth while you're throwing too. Let's let's just go all the way back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, listen, I understand what you mean. It, it doesn't like it. It's not great, but it doesn't really bother me. I okay. mean, if you want to get to the gold medal game, win. I, I know. I just like the idea, especially when the fields are what we think with this one, they're so close, mm-hmm. right? That it's nice to reward the best teams. So, you know, you had a good week, you, you work hard, finishing first doesn't really get you anything versus finishing fourth, right? It gets you into the same thing, right? So yeah. I, I like that. That's what I think the page is really good, that it rewards teams for doing well. And it keeps everyone playing hard through the week. Not that it's that big of a deal in curling, but if you get to that last round robin game, you've clinched your playoff spot. In a paid system, you might have to win it. In this system, it's sort of well, let's just try crazy shots and maybe chart rocks or do whatever. I I understand what you mean, yeah, but uh, you know, like I'm not going to lose sleep over it. All right, that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> uh, don't tell you know the team that finishes first and loses the semifinal. That no. They might lose sleep over it. Well, didn't we see that happen with uh, the Great Britain team one year? Or am I uh, thinking wrong? I don't know. We'll have to look that up for our next episode. It's yeah. in our corrections. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it in our corrections, our corrections department. Of segment. Corrections. So who who do you got? Who who would you pick as your gold medalist? Well, gold medal favorite, like I said before, it's got to be China. So you're going with the Chinese to win? Yeah. I'm going to go with the Canadians. I just think... I haven't seen the other teams enough. I think they can pull it out. They're they're two of the best players in the world. So, you know, I, if you tell me they finished fifth, that wouldn't necessarily shock me either. Mm-hmm. But I got to go with them. Got to be the homer. Got to be the homer. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Uh, it wouldn't shock me either. Uh, I'm rooting for him. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. And, uh, you know, we'll see where the uh, stones land. See where it happens. So that's our preview of the mixed doubles. Uh, at the Olympic Games. We'll recap it once it's all over uh, and see what we were right about, what we weren't. And the good thing, as Scott mentioned, because the time zone works out and the way they've scheduled, we'll be able to actually watch a lot of these games. Sure. Which will be great. And they go fast, too. So even the game on the East Coast, or, or not the East Coast, for Eastern time zone in Canada, that starts at 11.30 p.m., you know, the games really only take hour 45-ish, mm-hmm. so you can still be in bed before one thirty, probably, which for me is like just a normal day, <laughs> so it doesn't really impact my uh, schedule at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, uh... oh, it's Thursday night that it's on, it's not Friday night, so. No, but Thursday's like, Thursday's the new Friday. Yeah, you, yeah. Show up to work tired on Friday, who cares, you just gotta 
power through, and then it's the weekend. And then it's the weekend. Or, you know, we might see a little spike in uh, sick leave there that Friday. Yeah, you might, you yeah. <clears throat> but it's just the start of the Olympics, though. Like, it's... you. you True. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one other thing about this too, because the schedule is the way it is, uh, I, I don't necessarily feel bad for John Morris and Caitlin Laws because they've had the opportunity to walk in the opening ceremonies. But they confirmed yesterday with uh, Devin Hero of the CBC. He tweeted that he asked them about the opening ceremonies. Neither of them are going to participate mm. in the opening ceremonies. I don't think there's a game that conflicts with the opening ceremonies. I think everything is dark when the opening ceremonies is going on. But they're not going to walk. Okay. In the ceremonies. Hmm. That's uh, that's too bad for them. Yeah. Now, have you heard, are they going to stay once the event is finished? I have not heard that. Hmm. I, I don't know. My guess is that they won't because it seems as though they like to get people out as much as they can. They don't want hmm. people taking up space in the Olympic Village when they don't have to. And additionally, I think the Olympic Village has a reputation of being somewhat raucous. Well, let's say. Well, I heard the, that once you're done your events, you sh- you are supposed to move out of the Olympic right. Village. Right. So. It's like a residence building, in exam period. Yes. That your last exam, you have 48 hours to get <laughs> to get out. Yeah, and those last 48 hours could be a big party. It could be, yeah. And there are certainly like I've heard things too that in the Olympic Village, there's places that if you have a gold medal you get access to certain, like there's a gold medal oh. like club bar thing, and then there's a, also a medalist section. So like they have these cool things. Wow. Uh, and everyone sort of gets to relax. I saw an interview with Tom Daly, uh, the British diver, and someone asked him about sex in the, in the Olympic Village, and he said, everyone's in peak condition. Everyone's been training for at least the past year, like hard training mm-hmm. for at least a year, and they've just finished a really stressful experience. Everyone just needs to relax, is how we put it. So, you know, it can be a very social environment in there. Right on. So John John Morris, you know, he has the reputation of enjoying the uh, the nightlife. So he might have, uh, but he's but again, they've they've done it before. So the it might, but currently Canada, maybe they would stay support the other two teams. Sure. Who knows sure. How, how they would do it? But um, I w- I would expect them to to come back yeah. uh, especially if they win too then come back and do sort of the media circus mm-hmm. thing there I, I think it would have to do with budget as well for curling Canada right whether yeah. they want to keep people over there for for that long that yeah long period of time yeah so uh, we mentioned our correction segment we have one correction from our episode on Monday insert sound effect here so I said that I thought Michelle Anglott was 15 years older than Jennifer Jones. She is 10 years older than Jennifer Jones. So I blew that one. <laughs> you blew it, Sean. But the point still holds. She's older than Jennifer Jones, yes. By a decade. 10 years is a decade. So right. there you go. So we did screw that up. If anyone noticed any other screw-ups, you can let us know it. Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com. Twitter at Game of Stones pod. Yeah, get uh, get on that Twitter machine. We love the followers. Yeah, we're trying to sort of grow that a little bit. We also have a Facebook uh, page, just yes. Game of Stones podcast on Facebook that's publicly available. You can follow the show there. Right on, Sean. So we hope you enjoyed our Mixed Doubles preview. We will be back early next week. We're going to record late this week, but we'll release next week men's preview, women's preview, for the Olympics, separate episodes 
one for the men, one for the women. Uh, and then once the mixed doubles is over, we will also do a mixed doubles recap. So I think we got three episodes coming for you next week, the first week of the Olympic Games. Sounds good. I'm excited. You sound very excited about that. Thank you, Scott. You can follow Scott on Twitter at ScottLegsTV. I am at Dr. Shawnee Fever. Until next time, keep your brooms on the ice. Don't dump that intern. Make the final.